Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with State Corporate Training. Thank you to Craig Hass and his team for their ongoing support of the Collisions YYC podcast. Leadership, a term that conjures up everything from images of the hard charging Hollywood portrayal to the introverted, quiet CEO who emerges from their office with a magical path forward for the organization. No matter what comes to mind for you, I guarantee it'll be different than it was pre pandemic. After the past 18 months, the demand on leaders at all levels of the organization has changed. No longer can you rely on technical expertise alone. People on your team need you to be more human, and more importantly, human in a way that matters to them. Through my interviews with the team at SAIT, I was introduced to a more balanced approach to leadership, one that was truly a game changer for me and my perspective around what it is to be a successful leader. They call it the six leadership intelligences. Adaptability, emotional, collaborative, social, psychological, and digital intelligences. At first blush, aside from a couple, you may be asking yourself, wait a minute, what do these have to do with leadership? I'm here to tell you everything. We live in a world with a rapidly changing landscape that requires the need for human connection that has never been more important. How can you manage change if you are unable to create deep, safe, and meaningful connections with people around you? Simply put, you can't. Whether it's an entire organization, a division, a field office, or a small team, if you're not equipped with the intelligence you need, all the smarts in the world won't bring a group of people together to make the opportunities and challenges facing your organizations today. SAID is here to help you and your teams put together a package to put the skills in place for a safe, inclusive, and high-performing culture. To find out more about what they can do for you and your organization, please check them out at sait.ca slash corporate training, or better yet, open up your email and contact Craig Hess directly at craig.hess at sait.ca, that's H-E-S-S. He would love to chat with you and walk you through your needs and how they can put together a solution for you and your team. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my, uh, my my friend here today, Mr. James Lockery. How are you, James? I'm great, Tyler. Thanks for having me today. Oh, thanks for coming on, man. It's been great to, I know you and I have got a chance. It's Calgary. It's a small town. Small You've, town. You and I have met at the odd cocktail party, and but never been able to wrangle you onto the show. So I'll give Leah, you know, head of story over here at Thinner Labs, a big shout out for for, for teaming up with me to get you get you in the chair and get yeah. the mic in front of you. She gets the leash on me for the media and, and gets me uh, focused on that because it's not something I typically spend a lot of time on. But but I do enjoy it. I enjoy telling the stories. And uh, so I'm happy to, to spend the time doing it with you today. I appreciate that. Well, let's start right from the top. And I never never want to make any assumptions. And uh, we live in a big, small town, but it's still amazing the things that you don't hear about if it's not in your everyday. You are one of the founders and the managing partner at Thin Air Labs. So let's jump in the elevator. Give me the spiel. What's, what's, what's a Thin Air Labs, James? <laughs> Thin Air Labs is, uh, is a story that was born from uh, you know a struggle of an entrepreneur, and that was me. And uh, so way back in the day when I started uh, Wave with Kirk, um, I was in Toronto, or sorry, I was in Calgary, uh, Kirk was in Toronto, and uh, there was this natural pull for the business to be in Toronto just based on what was happening there versus what was happening here. And uh, that was a long journey for me personally. Coming back to Calgary, I, uh, you know, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder uh, around having to leave the city to build a company of the scale that we built. And when I came back, I came back with this sense of maybe we could do it here because everybody told us we couldn't do it in Toronto. So now coming back to Calgary, I was like, oh, I think we could probably do it here. Let's see what's going on. So I just spent some time with entrepreneurs and I started helping them. You know, I had some time, I, I had some flexibility with what I wanted to do. So I just started working with the people that I knew best and that's entrepreneurs. And um, I quickly realized that the game had changed in the four years since I had uh, been away. And when I came back into the city, there was just more activity and it was, it just had a different feel, different vibe. And so I dove in and started working with some entrepreneurs who were working on some pretty 
big and impressive types of businesses and uh, eventually put money into some of those businesses. And along that journey, I found that there were times when they needed me. They needed my advice on X subject or this type of technical problem or uh, fundraising or how to tell a story, whatever it might be. Just some of the experiences that I'd built over the years of doing it myself. And then I realized very quickly that they were asking me for things that I couldn't provide. The expertise, the depths of the expertise wasn't there because I didn't specialize in that. I, I may have led people that did that. And so I started creating a network of support for those organizations. And that led me to uh, uh, Jim Gibson and Greg Hart, who were who at the time was running a company called Wayfinders, which was a services-based company fo- focused on innovation and making a way from uh, from idea to impact, you know, they were just design thinking, execution, uh, networking, those kinds of things. And they were doing the same types of things. So we got together uh, and started playing around and quickly realized that the complement that they brought to the investing side of the business was really, really strong. And so we decided at that time to, to uh, bring ourselves together. I had Thin Air Labs operating, they had Wayfinders and we put it together and the title of Thin Air Labs one because it was just a better name. <laughs> I'm good at I'm good at uh, I'm good at creating names for for companies. So and that was like timeline wise. How long has Thin Air been kind of in existence at, uh, at that point? Uh, it's about um, six months of formally being in existence at that point. Okay, um, but there was. I would say three years before that of leading up to the creation of that company okay. uh, of all the, all the work that I was doing. So timeline wise, you, you were in Toronto because you guys built wave and is wave. How do I refer? Is it an accounting company, a, so, a financial yeah, services? It's a, software it's a financial company? services company, a FinTech company. It, okay. it does a lot of the accounting things behind the scenes, uh, invoicing, accounting, reporting, all of uh, payroll, all that fun stuff that, uh, that business owners really love doing. And um, what we did was we just bolted on all of the the financial transaction stuff around it. So all of the banking infrastructure for how payments move, you get paid on an invoice, it goes through Wave. If you pay your employees, it goes through Wave. If you want debt, it went through Wave. You know, there was all kinds of things around that, around financial services and banking infrastructure that we built around the accounting product. And that was over a 10 year, because that's where you kind of like yeah. cut, so, your, cut your teeth in the trenches, if you will, being on, now you're on the investor and support side. That's when you were the the guy looking for money and building a company. Yeah. Yeah. We formally launched the product in, when was that? November 16th, I believe of 2010. Um, and I stayed in my operating role until, when was that? September, uh, summer of 2015. And then I was just an advisor and uh, a strategic board member from that point on. Okay. Uh, and just supported my business partner in in his role as CEO after that. And you guys, the the end of that story, or certainly the shiny part of that story, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, probably all was, but was an exit to H&R Block, kind of like Correct. not that long ago. No, it was uh, a little over two years ago that, that we exited. Um, <laughs> fun story about that. Um, the relationship with H&R Block started nine years before the acquisition happened. Mm. So... Uh, Little be known to me, even working in the tax industry for as long as I was, H&R Block's headquarters is in Canada is in Calgary, and I met the CEO on a flight to Toronto, and we started I talking. I love those stories. Yeah, yeah. We just awesome. started talking, and uh, a couple of weeks later, he ended up in the office in Toronto with us and just meeting. And uh, there was another time where we we flew down to Kansas City, where their headquarters are, and had a conversation with them about accounting integration. They chose to go with a different software provider at the time. Um, and that obviously didn't work. And then they must have wisened up and said, oh, Wave's the, the real answer to all our problems. And then they 
decided to write a check for it. Um, all because you met you sat beside a guy on, got on an airplane. So. Uh, you know, I'm not going to take credit for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's an oversimplification. I'm quite it, sure. It sure. It sure is. But the uh, um, the reality is, is I th- I think the the lesson out of that is you never know where it's going to come from, what relationship you're going to build, uh, what connection point you're going to need to be able to get to the finish line, and. You know, I shouldn't say finish line, get to that milestone because the finish line isn't reached yet. Wave's still an independent company under the banner of H&R Block doing its, going after the mission that we're set out uh, 12 years ago uh, to accomplish. So it's, uh, but the, uh, the reality is it's relationships. This is all a relationship game. It's, Hmm. uh, you know, it's a people business as much as it's about technology. It's a people power business on all aspects of it. It's nothing much happens without a relationship somewhere along the That's line. That's right. I heard, there's a better quote that phrases that well, but yeah, don't underestimate. So thinking back, like what you've created and kind of the why and your motivation for it, is this also a direct reflection? Because you, you went on the journey, you had the experience, you raised the money, you did the series A, you did the rapid fire. You, if you jump on Wikipedia, I found it yesterday. There's, <laughs> the, there's a page on wave and it really lays out your timeline. And it was pretty fast and furious in those early years in terms of different funding partners and people throwing, helping throw gasoline on this fire that you guys were, were, were creating. Like just taking it back, was, was it, was it as crazy as it looks when you see the timeline? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm going to have to go back and look at that page because, uh, you know, the, you know, it's probably like women who have babies. They don't remember the trauma of it. And they're like, Hey, uh, let's have another well, the baby, joke is right? if we did, we'd never have second borns, right? <laughs> exactly, That's the joke. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're yeah. going to get some hate mail. Cause you and I just made a reference to something we have no business speaking. Yeah. Of. <laughs> like, listen, uh, yeah. So, so if I've offended anybody by that, I'm not, yeah, I, I, I should just <laughs> I'm not. I'm not too worried. <laughs> the, uh, but I love to hear the motivations that got you where you are. And you've clearly creating something, which we're going to get into in terms of, you know, what is your investment thesis and kind of what is the thing that you want to create that's going to make this world better for these these entrepreneurs at different stages of their journey. Mm-hmm. Always curious to go back of like, where did that spark or where did that belief structure get laid, laid into place? Yeah, I, I think it was in the early stages of the journey of way, probably in that first four or five years when it was crazy. You know, it was uncertain. There was a lot of weird stuff happening. We were incredibly naive about how to build a venture scale business, uh, how to de- deal with venture capitalists uh, and investments and uh, capital markets. All that stuff was new. Um, but what I think was the most important thing that shaped how I moved into the future was uh, we were incredibly fortunate to have some really top level investors come around us and support us through the journey, uh, join us on our board and become more than just people who gave us money. And, you know, when I look at the learnings that I had being able to sit in a boardroom four times a year with people who had created and exited multi-billion dollar businesses, uh, had worked with early stage companies uh, from the standpoint of, of making Series A investments and growing them through to going to IPO, uh, they understood what we were challenged by. They understood that there was um, more moral support required than technical support. <laughs> and the other thing that was important was the way they approached it. So Devdut Yulikar was our Series A investor from Charles River. He's, he subsequently left the, the venture game, retired, and uh, uh, I think that's a loss for, for, for venture in general because he's such an amazing person. The, uh, the thing that he taught me that stays with me to this day is the difference between being an operator and an investor is very, very simple. As an operator, you are, you are the parent. That's your baby. You have to make sure you feed it, 
make sure their diapers are changed, make sure that you have good babysitters around, all of the <laughs> things, you know, a plan for the future, RESPs, all of that shit, right? As an investor, you're the grandparent. <laughs> you're the wise man who can, or wise woman, who can deliver advice, who can take perspective, who can connect them to different people that they may not have met before uh, and give them comfort. And at the end of the day, you give the baby back hmm. and make sure that the responsibility for raising the baby lies on the founder, not on the investor. And my role uh, and how I've interpreted that into how I operate is that I partner with an entrepreneur, and this is the whole mantra of, of, of Thin Air Labs, I partner with the entrepreneur for their success and their success only because without their success, I'm not successful as an investor. Um, and more importantly than that, you know, money is great. You know, everybody wants money. Everybody likes money. It's, it's a fun thing to have in your back pocket. But without the relationship of um, a true compatible relationship between investor and the, the founders, you just don't have the same chance for success in life, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's also the thing that carries beyond the investment. It carries beyond the the uh, the business lifespan. And it, these people can be uh, friends, peers, part of your network, uh, and some of them can become incredibly close friends. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about where I am in my life is because I've taken this viewpoint of partnering for their success, it creates a different dynamic of how I feel about them. And it, t it creates this more energetic response for me getting up because I'm helping that person that I like uh, to be successful rather than, oh, I have to get up and do this so that this investment can work out. You know, eventually I'd get bored of the latter. The, yeah. the other one, it excites me because it's a, that's a life journey. You know, when you, I've had a lot of different people on the show from a lot of different angles of, you know, needing money to giving money. I mean, it feels like you kind of lucked out and found some of the right partners early on. Cause I don't think the entire venture game or the, certainly the capital market is like what you're describing right now. This feels not only like a competitive advantage, but it felt like along the journey, you were lucky enough to find those people. And I'm going to say lucky because you've self-admitted you were kind of stumbling your way through this process. And if you hadn't found that you might've had a very different outcome or very different experience. Oh, I'm sure. Um, there was a time when wave really struggled. Uh, it was after our series B extension, our Series B extension was a, the first indication of big trouble in the company. Hmm. And um, I am very, very confident that had DevDut not been our Series A investor, we would not be having this conversation today. Really? Um, that man ensured that we got to the finish line on that fundraise. He took us into his home for uh, multiple days. His wife treated us like children, her children, <laughs> fed us, looked after us. And the whole goal was... Not it wasn't really tactically strategic. It was just he wanted to make sure we were okay, and he wanted to keep us close. And yeah, we uh, we certainly got lucky with him because we were stumbling around. We knew like inherently we knew there was something really special about this guy. Yeah. But the the investment process shields a lot of that, right? It, there's a lot of impersonal uh, connection that happens there. But afterwards, mm -hmm. it was like, oh man, this guy's special, and. We were incredibly lucky. I know Kirk and him have, an even, have a much deeper relationship than I do with him. I admire the man incredibly. I think Kirk had the opportunity, because he was in the CEO role, to m interact with him on a much more 
depth basis. So you were a product manager at the time, right? I was the head of product, yeah. Head of product. Yeah. So when you're coming back to Calgary, uh, curious, why did you come back? I, I think we've, you've kind of, it's been underpinned in a lot of that you said, but you're in Toronto. You can't build that there. I'm sure there's a lot of people said, oh, why the heck? Why the heck are going to Calgary? What's a Calgary? Yeah. <laughs> back to that joke. Yeah. So it, it's funny because when I left the my operating role, I, I left primarily because I wasn't being as effective in that role as I used to be because the innovation was slowing down. And, uh, mm. um, and it, you know, that impacts how you work and how you think and all those other things. So the best thing for the company was for me to step away from that role, put an expert into that role, a technical expert into that role, uh, who that, and that's exactly what we did. Um, Sorry, I can't remember. Oh, why did I come back yeah, to Calgary? Well, yeah, yeah, sorry, I, yeah, I, I no. was just dreaming about that, uh, about Monty Fazelli and how <laughs> he, he ended were, up. Were, I think we do another podcast about when do you move yourself out of the way as, yeah, as a founder. Yeah, sure. that's, a, that's another episode. Of yeah, it, so. yeah, we could do that. Uh, that's That would be a dangerous journey for me to think through. <laughs> um, so coming back to Calgary, yeah, I had no preconceived ideas what I was going to do. I had a beautiful home in Toronto. It was I had a pool in the backyard. It was a little oasis. My kids were all set up in, in Toronto. Uh, but our family wasn't a hundred percent settled as uh, as comfortably as we would like from the standpoint of social integration and all that stuff. And I started figuring, you know, started working around what could I do next, where could I go. I was pretty confident I couldn't work for somebody else unless it was a really, really special person. Uh, still, the pretty, joys of being unemployable. <laughs> yeah, still, uh, still pretty confident of that fact, actually. Um, uh, and then. I came to Calgary shortly after I left uh, for personal reasons, and there was this sense of, oh, this feels like home for some reason. And it didn't feel like that before uh, when I'd come for a visit, and I think it was because of that natural tension of, of being you know, really stupid focused on Toronto being the driver of ways. You almost almost don't let yourself at that point. It's like a permissibility, right? You don't give the space. Yeah. So came back to Calgary and, uh, you know, we, we felt it was a better place to raise our our kids um, at the time. And uh, then I saw what was happening. I felt what was happening and the disruption that was happening in the energy industry was feeding the innovation industry. And I saw that. And then I recognized the parallels to what was hap- what had happened in Toronto from like 2010 or 2009 through to about 2013 was when Toronto all of a sudden put all the pieces together for what we now know as one of the great tech hubs in the world. And because when we started Wave, there was like very, very little happening in Toronto from the standpoint of financing and, and tech investment and those types of things because of the financial crisis. It's easy to forget that it's just, it hasn't always been the way it is. Yeah. Well, you're talking about 10 years ago and it yeah. was a nuclear winter in Toronto for technology. So um, when I came here and saw what was happening, I recognized that the potential for the same level of uh, transition in Calgary was there and probably even more so. And so then I just started digging around, seeing what was going on. And um, I felt like this was a place that I fit in culturally better than in <laughs> Toronto. Uh, Toronto tends to be more of a uh, of an old boys club or a clique. It's got a different vibe. It definitely does. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I didn't go to the right schools. I don't, I don't know. I don't you didn't have go the to co- the right country club. You yeah, didn't, you didn't I, summer on the light, on the right lake in Muskoka. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I walked down the street, jumped off the bluffs and hopped in the, into the lake right down by the uh, nuclear station by Pickering. So that's <laughs> a, that was my summer vacation, you know? So, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I just came back and I saw the opportunity and I saw the opportunity to be somebody in this space who had had as, 
had experiences that a lot of people in this area hadn't, which gave me a competitive advantage in how I wanted to operate. Whereas in Toronto, I was just another guy who was doing a thing and you know, a bit of an outsider. And uh, But here I felt like home. And that mm. proved to be true as soon as I made the decision to come back and invest my time here. The doors were flying wide open. People wanted to talk to me. People were interested. It didn't matter if you were an entrepreneur, an investor, a billionaire, a family office, it, it, or or somebody struggling just to get uh, a, a vision of where they were going in the future. Anybody would take a meeting with me. <laughs> and it became obvious that that culture, plus where we were in the transition of the economy, gave us a great opportunity for the future. I do believe it's one of our superpowers, that ability to get connected with people. And there's a level of openness right away. Where Toronto, mm-hmm. you got a few layers. You got you might get a meeting, but oh yeah, I'll get back to you. You get the winks and nods and then you never hear. But yeah. Calgary, it's like, hey, this isn't what I'm into, but you know what? You should talk to so-and-so or let me connect you over here. Like exactly. I always make the joke, big small town. Like I grew up in a small town and Calgary has that in spades, that in willingness. Spades. I also believe is my own loose theory. We had so much abundance here for so long there isn't as much of a scarcity mentality. Even though things have been tough the last five years, there is like, well, if you get ahead and I get ahead, we'll all get ahead better. Yep. Other parts of the country, there's a little bit more, well, shit, if you get ahead, I might lose. Yep. And I don't like that. I think Calgary, we've had such a, or Alberta, we've had such a good run. Even though things have been down, I still think that's part of our value proposition. That's my own armchair theory there. <laughs> oh, I, I completely agree. I think that that goes back to the culture of the, when agriculture was the dominant industry here, where if you didn't work together as a community, you just screwed. Yeah. <laughs> You're screwed. Yeah, like yeah. you can't you can't survive these winters yeah, as an they independent. Old, the the right? barn building or who's doing harvest this week? And we'll go help yeah. them. I grew up in a smart farming community in Montreal, uh, about an hour south, and it, literally everyone on the road like oh borrowed this from each other. Like it was a huge sense of community. Everybody worked for each other. You know, money transacted. You harvested this and you did that. But everybody did everything as a group. And yep. if somebody needed help. Even if it was that neighbor you didn't like, everyone showed up anyways because yeah. that's just the code. That's how it worked. Exactly. And that translated right into the energy industry as well because yeah. you see what I love about what the energy industry did out here was they captured wealth and kept it here. You know, when you think about what's mm. happening in technology today in Canada, foreign VC investment is coming in and taking big chunks of, of major deals. I'm not saying that we're not growing our ecosystem of, of investors here in the, in the country that right. we are, we're doing a good job, but there is so much foreign competition for these deals. And that wealth is leaving the country when those exits happen. Right. Uh, I yeah, want to see our investors take that and keep it. I want to see our founders, well, our that's employees. That's how you start laddering up to the exactly, next level, right? Because exactly. Because like yourself, you've brought it back into play. Yeah. Right? And when you look at Calgary as a whole, um, I don't know exactly what the statistics are, but Calgary on a per capita basis has more millionaires, more billionaires. I've always heard that stat. Is that still is that still true? Higher personal income and higher family income than any other major city in North America. Uh, I believe that's still true. Yeah. Hmm. Not only that, despite the fact that what's happened in the energy industry over the last six years Alberta is expected to to lead the country in growth over the next five years. Yeah, that's exciting. Why is that happening? It's because we're really good at business out here. And we're really a good, strong community that's supporting get, get, get that. Get shit done is a real thing out here. It's a real thing <laughs> get, out get here. Get her done, I should get yeah. her done. I learned that expression when I moved out here. When making that comment about, you know, stuff going across the border, when you, do we have a strong enough, like is, the, is there a strong enough can we, can we fight that off with our own investment groups? I've heard in Calgary, I've, I've heard, I talked to so many people, I'm always repeating someone else's theory to a certain extent that there's a lot of money, but it still sits on the sidelines because it's maybe not comfort, you know, comfortable with technology. I'm used to investing at holes in the ground. 
which yes. is risky, but it doesn't feel risky because I've been doing it for forever. Yep. How are we doing on that transition? Like, what are you having those conversations? I'm assuming you are. Well, definitely. Uh, across the country, actually, we're having those conversations okay. with wealth managers and, uh, and other wealthy individuals. And if you look at growth, just pure and simple growth, U.S. versus Canada, they're killing us. Mm. And why is that happening? Well, we tend to go resource heavy, real estate heavy, standard, pretty understood industries for Canada, mm -hmm. but with very little value add. The growth assets mm -hmm. are things that people are more risk averse around. In the US, they're not. And so when I look at it and I, I think about portfolio theory for, for anybody, you know, I think there's, you know, liquidity is important. I think hard assets are important. And then growth. Why would you muck around in the middle? Uh, that to me is the the thing that I don't understand. Why would you go and play some weird, you know, incumbent industry because they have a five to ten percent growth over, you know, uh, let's say a five percent annualized growth over five years and a two to three percent dividend, eight percent you're annualizing compounded growth. Sounds interesting. Good. How about one hundred and eighty percent growth? How about five hundred percent growth? Are you taking any of your portfolio and trying to achieve those types of things? And I'm talking about that growth compounding over a decade uh, and creating real wealth. Those takes That takes risk. And I don't believe the majority of wealthy Canadians who understand portfolio theory are taking this into account as much as they should. And it's, you know, it, it just goes back to the old mantra of you invest in what you know. Yeah. Because that's how you avoid mistakes. I just don't think we know enough in Canada about this asset class. I bet if you were to go and, and go into Toronto and ask the the 50 wealthiest people in Toronto what they think of the tech sector in Toronto, most of them wouldn't have any idea what mm -hmm. was going on. Yet there are billions and billions and billions of dollars of wealth being created every day there. Also shows that we're leaving the door open for all that foreign investment because if, if the deals yeah. need to get done, someone's going to take up that 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 slack. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important to still have foreign investment because we're in a global market, right? So yeah. to have yes. touch points across uh, different places, I think we were very fortunate to have Silicon Valley investors uh, as well as Boston and other places. But Silicon Valley being connected into that, it's you know it's hard to ignore the fact that that's still mecca for us. There's right. just so much going on there. That's where the deals get done. Right. That's well, where there's the, more volume. There's more experience. They're very comfortable with it. They and, understand it. They can look at it and get it at a, at a glance versus exactly. Okay. Bring me up, bring me up to speed. Well, yeah. you said something about obviously those kind of returns you talk about tend to be associated with bigger risk. Absolutely. That's risky. That other one. Wow. That's, you know, I've heard a money manager. Well, we're going to get 2% here and 8% and after fees, you're going to walk away with 7% growth over X money, whether you're a personal investor or, mm -hmm. or otherwise. Reading a little bit about the thesis, your your investment thesis around Thin Air Labs, and I will get into the fact that like we're sitting right now in Garden Loft, um, Show Suite is which is this doesn't look like a high tech play. So I also want to talk about like the, how you guys are diversifying. So is part of that you know not only going like how are you guys de-risking some of your investments to sure. kind of help that, but then also is part of it the fact that you're willing to invest in things that aren't like a pure pure tech plays? Yeah. So um, uh, the thesis. Um, I'll start by saying, you know, the, you, you talk about risk, right? I am really risk averse. That might be surprising to people. The thing that I do really well is I understand the, the potential for risk in the future and I take steps to mitigate those things. And if you understand how a company goes from idea through to product validation due to 
go to go to market, how you iterate for product market fit, and then you commercialize at scale. If you know the playbooks for those types of things, you can really pay attention to how to mitigate the risks of failure through the early stages of the company. So seed stage investing, there's stats all over the place, so it's hard to really know what success rates look like. But I'm seeing somewhere between 50 to 80% of all seed investments fail before the Series A. I look at that and I'm like, no, thank you. Yes. Uh, like yeah. that's a, that's a terrible world to live in where, you know, four out of five of your investments die before, you know, within two years, imagine that not just the financial kind of, um, you know, mental head games you have to play with yourself to be able to go through those things, but then the relationships you're dealing with and the hardship that you have to, uh, face when founders fail, uh, that's just a place where I would feel really uncomfortable with. So, as we went through the process of looking at how do we make sure that we're successful as we're taking on this amount of risk in the early stages of investing into companies. And then we're talking about the earliest stages of investing into companies. As soon as they're investment ready, we're right there with checks for the right players. We look at it from the standpoint of the team that we're investing in is our partner, not our investee company. They're our partner and our success has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with them. And so if we can put our egos in our back pockets, use our expertise to make those people successful, then we'll be successful. And so we built- <laughs> Sounds pretty simple. Yeah, right? sounds yeah. pretty simple, right? So <laughs> we put we put together a team. I think we're up to 23 or 24 people. We've been adding uh, people over the last few weeks. So I don't know the exact number. Um, who are highly specialized in certain aspects of these, these tasks in the early stages of company formation and, and go to market. And whether that's in the product traction and building technolo- technology mm-hmm. w- in conjunction with those teams, or it's finding them non-dilutive capital, or it's helping them understand how to form up their business structure and culture to be able to tackle the problems that they're going through, through their own lens, not ours, through their lens. Um, those are all things that we can help with. And it's amazing the number of times founders just stub their toe in the wrong way and it kills your business. Uh, completely well, unavoidable. Every, everything I joked is like, you're like a deer in the forest. Everything can kill you. Everything. Success can kill you. Exactly. You kill, yeah, you're always on guard. Yeah, right? and so it's it's pretty simple when founders start talking and they say something, I'm like, oh, red flag. I've been there. I made that mistake. Here's Here's something you need to think about. So it's that thesis around risk mitigation in the early stages that allows us to put in investments when really there's no evidence that says that this is a good investment other than the people that are doing it, that are, are running the show there. So to me, um, that partnership is important. That is the, uh, the, the part of the thesis that is, is critically important to us is we're founder first and we're truly founder first because it's not about us, it's about them. And we do not want to put ourselves ever in front of them. And we, it's their business too. Well, parents and grandparents. I think right, that, exactly, that, that exactly. rings through the whole story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's their business. It's not our business. They're the ones that are going to decide what's going to happen. And we say right at the beginning, when we shake hands on a deal, it's we're in it with you. When you're done, we're done. If you want to go long, we're going long. But it's your business. So we're here to support whatever your vision is for that. So that's a, a big, big part of the thesis. Um, the other one, other parts of the thesis are really technical from the standpoint of what sectors do we look at? All of them. 
is okay. is primarily the answer to that with the exception of energy and we stay away from energy not because we not because of carbon or anything or, or we're, we're scared of clean tech or anything like that we live in a city that's full of amazing energy investors why that's, on that's earth would i taken care of yeah. it's going to get taken care of here um and and if it's not who am I to say that those people are wrong? So I'm going to stick to the things that, that we're really good at and not have a lot of competition around. Okay. Uh, and to, to me, um, what that looks like and what it looks like to the rest of the team is it's about human impact. And that, that kind of impact investing has be, become like a mantra and, and it's over-indexed today. It's a bit, it's a bit signal-oriented, yes. you know, if you're not careful with it. You got to exactly. dig in to find out what it actually what, means. What does it actually it's mean? a great flag to fly. Yeah. We look at it from a very... St- strict standpoint about ROI. When we think about the impact of a service on human beings, a service or a product on human beings, if it's creating amazing value for a person and it's, and it can create that amazing value for multiple people all around the world at scale, we are going to have customers who are going to pay more for your product. They're going to continue buying your product during hard times and they're going to tell all their friends about it. Because you're doing the right thing for people. And people don't mind spending their money on things that create value for them. And so that is an important part of the, the it's actually the part of, core part of the ROI thesis behind our investments. We believe you get a higher multiple on, on your investment when you target human impact. At those early stages, are like... It sounds it sounds like it can be formulaic, but there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of concept around what you're talking about there. So how do you guys assess that? Like, because I'm assuming you're you're meeting people and talking to people all the time. Is it a little bit of like a gut feel combined with getting a few different eyes to look at it, so we can have different perspectives? Because that can be a pretty big jump at an early stage to go. Okay, I see this again. We all have those visions, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you know, we all don't come down from the mountain with the whatever prophecy that we need to see forward. How, how do you, how do you do that and feel confident in it? Well, you know, I, I confidence, um, confidence can be fleeting. So it's, uh, <laughs> I found it to be quite so. <laughs> um, so I, I think first and foremost, so there's, a, there's a couple of types of investors that are, or companies that I, I like, uh, or the way that they're structured. The first one is, incredibly strong domain experts in their field. So when we look at our portfolio, about half of our companies today are in life sciences. And so what we see typically in those spaces are researchers, uh, academics, um, who are also entrepreneurs, who have been spending upwards of 20, 25 years working on this problem, and they're bringing their solutions to market. That level of expertise is, is you know, makes it pretty obvious where all these things are headed because they're they've really framed up in their mind why they're doing this and uh, a great example of that is cyantra so that's uh, a newly commercialized product that is a blood test for breast cancer and uh, when you just think about that for a second a blood test for breast cancer we've we've heard some stories about what's happening around that that is now available in canada to have that done. Now it's in the very, very early stages of, of rolling out. So but the hope that that creates, even by saying that out loud is massive, just by massive. Yeah. And that company has the ability to turn their technology on all tests for cancer. So the human impact on that is just obvious, right? If you can go into yeah. your doctor once a year, take a vial of blood mm-hmm. and do a screen for 50 different types of cancers and not just, Oh, do I have advanced cancer? The earliest stages of cancer, which we all know is the key to it's the, key. the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, incredibly obvious play for when it comes to human value and human impact. 
Where it's less obvious is in the the other type of entrepreneur, which is the naive yet um, what's what's the word that I can use to describe it? High learner type of environment. Okay. Uh, so you get these groups of young kids, for lack of a better word, rolling out of university, um, all full of piss and vinegar and naive altruism and uh, don't know what they don't know, don't know what they shouldn't be able to do. And then they There's go- There's a lot and, of power in not, if, yeah. If I yeah. would have known, I would have never tried and then I would have never got exactly. here. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We've got a company here uh, that, that the average age of the employees is 23. So they sit outside of my office because I love it. It makes me feel young. Um, but the good, uh, that could go either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could, it could go either way. The uh, um, but that that's a great example of, of that. And you, it's not as obvious in those scenarios how they are going okay. to build their product to fit that mold. So in those scenarios, really, what it comes down to is how good are the people? Like wh- how how big is that heart? What are they really trying to achieve? Are they just trying to make money? I'll go get another investor. Because that's, I don't want to get out of bed just to make money. I'll just get bored of that. So <laughs> the, uh, it's, uh, it, it comes down to that. To me, it's, it's the people that, I, you know, I don't know if, it's, it, if there's an intuitive sense around understanding the kindness or goodness of people when they're entrepreneurs. Maybe there's a pattern recognition I've picked up over 25 years mm-hmm. of working with entrepreneurs. Um, but uh, that, I think that's a key. And I appreciate we, sometimes we try to over-science everything. Sometimes there is a gut. Sometimes there is a heart. Hey, there's lots of science around that. The heart has a brain. The gut has a brain. We can make decisions that way. And I appreciate we want to put it all out in a spreadsheet and make it formulaic because it feels like we're de-risking it when we do that, but that's not always the case, right? That's right. We can beat that data into telling us whatever we want it to tell us. Exactly right. I love when I do that. (laughs) (laughs) We all, we all have. So you guys are in the process now of Thin Air Fund One. Yes. I do like the name. It sounds, I love how simple it is, but it has a very, you know, Air Force One kind of feel. (laughs) Something about it. I don't know. I was like, Ooh, it has, it has magnitude. It's one of those uh, mission names that they developed in world war two. Uh, where, what stage are you guys at with that process right now? So we're in the early stages of, of fundraising. We're actually investing today. Uh, we're just investing my capital. Uh, and, uh, we've got some very strong commitments, uh, at this stage for our first close, which is, uh, we're hoping to do by the end of this year. Uh, we're also okay, working so by the end of the, by, by the end, by for, the end of 2021. Yeah. For our first close. Nice. Um, and we, what's expect- the target for the race? We're targeting 100 million for the raise. Uh, we we okay. know we will not get to that in first close. Yep. Uh, because a lot of the people that we're talking to are are going to take a little bit longer. Some of the bigger okay. institutions. So, we're. Uh, am I confident of, that I'm going to be able to raise 100 million dollars into this fund? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I. You know. I think that. You want to get my camera out? I can video <laughs> that because that was very committed. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, I think the. The story that we have here, the opportunities that Alberta is presenting to the market, uh, the track record of Alberta technology, which isn't well known, is is incredibly strong too. Um, and people are waking up to the fact that there is massive opportunity sitting here. I actually I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. The um, if you think about Toronto over the last ten years and the growth that's happened there, mm-hmm. imagine. Not a penny of investment was invested into Toronto. No companies were formed, but all the IP was created. And all you needed to do was then form the companies and fund them. And you would be off to the races. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what Calgary is like today. 
there is so much IP that is just sitting there waiting to be commercialized in the research institutes, in the academia world, mm, and it is game-changing stuff, like world-changing stuff that we're, we have sitting right here that all it needs to be is commercialized. And there's been more and more push around that out of the institutions to push that into a commercial phase as the energy sector struggled. And so that's why we're seeing this explosion in tech in, in Alberta today. I've had a few guests on to ch- chatting about just that that difference between we've got the commercial sector and we've got academia and how that's coming together now in a way that's a little, you know, more, maybe more similar to what's happening south of the border. And I had a couple of people on from uh, UFC and they said, you know, it's not cool to be a prof if you don't have a side gig anymore. Like become, being <laughs> entrepreneurial is like, that used to be almost frowned upon. And now it's like, well, what else, what, what else do you have going on? Right. And yeah. I appreciated the, you know, in the biotech, you mentioned life sciences that that's, if you're not, if that's not on your radar, it's, it's not on your radar at all. Cause I don't find it gets picked up or talked about until it gets to the end. Like yeah. What you're talking about is the early stages of these stories, yeah. which don't always make the quote unquote six o'clock news as we were joking earlier. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think in life sciences, it's especially important today because we're going to go through what I believe is a, a massive transformation in healthcare over the next five to 10 years. And it's coming out of the, the centralization and, and anonymization of data uh, that we can now start looking at as a whole. And governments are getting behind this because cost of healthcare is skyrocketing yeah. and the reality is, is if you apply technology solutions to these things, I believe you can reduce healthcare budgets very significantly while improving outcomes. Um, and it's just about, hey, you know what? We lose billions of dollars a year because of bed sores or diabetic foot ulcers or blah, blah, blah. All of these things that can be prevented with technologies that actually have been already developed and invested in right here in Alberta. So those things are uh, are going to just be prolific. And I think Alberta's got an incredible position in the world based on the amount of investment, uh, philanthropic and government investment into research over the past 20 years. That opportunity of Alberta kind of being the next place that that big thing is going to happen. I've had a lot of guests come on and talk about that, like almost the why Alberta story. And they're like, well, when you look across... Across the landscape, this is the place where that next wave is going to happen. It's yeah. not, it can and it will, and it's poised for that. And I, I get really excited. I get really behind that idea. Yeah, think about any other place in North America today that is a major economic powerhouse like Calgary is mm-hmm. that doesn't have a tech sector, doesn't have a, a, a vibrant tech ecosystem. I can't think of one. And when you're dealing with the wealthiest city in North America <laughs> and you're just about to start one, Oh God, this is going to be where else would explosive. You be? It's going to be explosive. And yeah. um, what I really love is I think there are policy is starting to catch up with the opportunity as well. So government is starting to okay. recognize that. Yeah. We that kind of left here. out of the government side of this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Regulatory. I'm not really a political guy, but I can say political things. <laughs> the floor is yours, sir. You have the mic, you have the microphone. Uh, hey, I'm curious about your, the investors you're talking to. You mentioned the kind of large institutions. So this fund, the hundred million, who's going to be in that fund? Like, is it all across the board? Cause you guys are focusing on very early, early stage seed round investing, which tends to be a certain sets of group, not necessarily big institutional investors. Who's going to be in this mix of this hundred million. There, there's a, there's a, a few groups okay. that are important. First of all, it's thin air staff. Uh, so myself, the team, we all want to participate and That's invest awesome. in our own uh, our own goals. Uh, the second one group is an important group, but it's a small one. It's highly skilled and engaged tech workers who can help us with the portfolio. People that are really interested in getting their fingernails dirty in different areas. And these people are actively working in their own roles 
but want to invest and also want to participate in, in growth. Uh, to me, that is an incredibly strategic group of investors that we will have. Uh, and they're my people, you know, I like those types. Well, of what people. you're really, the underpinning is it's wealth building and that it's wealth, wealth. Yeah. if it, like you said, stays in the ecosystem, it starts to, then we can get a Boston, we can get a, you know, Silicon Valley. Like, well, the, the oil sector has done that. Yes. These people just keep re-upping and because they're comfortable, we just need to create the next version of that in some yeah. other sectors. Yeah. The next category is the high net worth. And okay. in Alberta, you know, we've been working with uh, a, a number of, of family offices or high net worth individuals that um, are dipping their toes in here with trepidation uh, and just helping them. And, you know, we did, we just work with them to get them to understand our companies, what we're doing, how, the, why we make decisions so that they can be educated. And that work that we've been doing for years with them is now opening up the opportunity for them to say yes to these types of investments. Okay. And uh, so I'm looking at that as, you know, some of these are, are incredibly wealthy people. And so if they, they sprinkle a little bit into our fund, and see how that works, get more comfortable. Well, maybe they'll take tens of millions of dollars and sprinkle it around into other funds in, in Alberta. Well, back uh, to your portfolio, you know, concept. Exactly. They understand that. How do we just get them to feel that this model is, is cause it's about risk, right? Yes. And if, if you understand it, it feels less risky, even though maybe nothing has changed. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we would really like to have, and we are having uh, great conversations and, and commitments from that level of people. And because we just like the energy industry, we need the local investors to participate in this, to get behind the growth of the economy in this sector, and to make money off of it so that wealth stays here and they can do it again. So that's an important part of it. Uh, and in conjunction with that, we also are going to take on small investors. So we will take small checks into the fund. Uh, uh, how small, small? Let's put a number on that. I, we think 25000 Okay. Uh, okay. So a meaningful contribution. That's not. That's 25000 still a well, lot of money. I love the money. concept of the democratization of investors. You yes. Know, like, oh, if I'm not... If I'm not a pre-qualified, if I'm not a, you know, a, what's the, what am I, why am I missing my words? But if I'm not an accredited investor, I can't participate. I've got to go to my big financial institution and get my 3% or 4%. Exactly. And I'm having a lot of guests talk about like, if we really want to unlock, but also create opportunities, how do we let these individuals participate in a, in an environment that they can understand and, yeah. and feel safe in? Yeah. Especially the younger generation that needs to build wealth and is looking at interest rates that are what half a percent or something like that. And right? feeling so, like they're getting left out of the party exactly. on home ownership and all these things. Exactly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when, when you give people that opportunity, even at small scale, I think it's really important because it's going to open the community's eyes to what's happening. If we can get more and more people, especially young people <laughs> in this city, uh, understanding this part of the business, we'll just have more growth. And so I want to have a community feel in the fund, even though it's there's a lot more admin, there's a lot more investor relations that has to happen it's because of that. It's good to remember that, that, that is not a, there's, that's not a simple undertaking for you a, guys. There's a tax involved in that process, and it's a tax we're willing to pay for the community. Uh, because that's what we are. We're a community ecosystem builder, right? And, and they're saying it and then there's putting your money where you're yeah, literally in this yeah. case. <laughs> and then, and finally, uh, like every other fund, we're going after big institution and institutional investors. I don't okay. want to name names, but yep. uh, you could probably guess at a handful of them, uh, banks, those types of things. We do want Canadian capital because we are investing in Canada, but we okay. are also looking outside of Canada okay. uh, and at potential foreign investment as well. So um, I have those connections. Uh, I've been slowly talking about them. Hmm. Uh, so we may be moving in that direction, just depending on how things go on uh, with the Canadian investors. Some of those big institutional investors, is there a, is there a, 
a feeling on their side? Are you getting the sense that like, oh, geez, we're missing out on this sector. We got to get involved, even though it hasn't been normally our place to play. You mean the early stage? Or? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With what you guys are doing specifically, because it does feel or traditionally is looked at as a bit more of a risky space. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's actually the case. Okay. Uh, because I think <laughs> traditionally tech investors and the way that they sit inside of their box think about, especially in Canada, don't really think about the seed stage. They only worry about when people have hit escape velocity. Okay, And so that's where the dearth of capital is. And that's where the opportunity is for Thin Air Labs is playing in this space where most people don't play. It's underserved. Yeah, <laughs> it's underserved. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's that. I think it's geographically. So organizations are like, you know what, we don't have a big presence in Calgary because we weren't in the energy game or whatever yep. it was, you know. But with what everything that's going on there and the wealth that's in that city, why aren't we there? And so they look at ours as uh, our fund as a vehicle to start establishing themselves with a presence, with understanding, with the ability to come in. You know, one of the things that the reason that we have such a big office here is because I want my LPs that are from out of town when they're in town, come and hang out here, hang your hat and be here and learn with us and those types of things. So, um, that's why it's called thinner labs, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. the lab, you roll up your sleeves and you blow things up and you and you put them back together again. Yeah. Again, reaching maybe on this one, but as you hear a lot more rhetoric around some of the larger institutional investors pulling out of the energy sector, this feels like a great way to get them back into our town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have to give them other opportunities yeah. to, to bring capital into the city, right? Because they want deals. They want to move things forward. Like, absolutely. But, but you they know, do. they've picked a line now around some of the moral absolutely. and ethical, or I won't even talk about that. But if we can get them back here on a different ground, with a different footing, with a different story, to me, that's 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 critical. Yeah, because they're not coming back for the other one. No, they've already made not. that decision. That no, they've publicly flown that flag. Yeah, that divorce has happened. R right or yeah. wrong. Again, other podcasts for another day. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's interesting. So uh, timeline, you want the first, the 100 million timeline on that? Is that over the next couple of years? Like, no, I, no, no. That'll be uh, within 12 months. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, my hope is to have a first close so that we can start really actively investing in some of the opportunities that are already right in front of us. We have a number of companies in the portfolio that are approaching next stage of financing, which, could, which could be significant. Um, and so we need to, make a first close so that we can support those uh, outside of just my capital, because I'm looking at my capital going, Oh, uh, that's starting to drain a little bit. <laughs> so we need, to, we, do, we do need a little bit yeah, more ammunition to, to play the game. It's not topping up. It does eventually. Yeah, exactly. Down. So, uh, <laughs> so we're, um, I, I would imagine that we would have a second close and I w would want that to be our final close sometime uh, at March, April timeframe. Uh, okay. That should oh, okay, give okay. the uh, the larger institutions the ability to get their ducks in a row for what they need to do. Well, you got to put a deadline or no one's going to act. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Works. And and the reality of this situation is the time is now. It's not a year from now in yeah. this city. The time is right now. This is when we're going to see amazing deals done that are going to return incredible ROI to investors. I see the businesses already. We have a bunch of them in our portfolio that I'm looking at going, this one could be worth 10 billion. This one could be worth hundred billion. We just make to need to make sure we keep them on track uh, and keep mm -hmm. them focused on the long journey, not the short journey. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's today's day. Like people should be stepping up with capital into Calgary. Uh, and, and I welcome everybody to do it because I'd love to, I'd love to have the competition in this space. That's, that's a success problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> Having more people. Because it sounds like certainly there's no shortage in, you know, kind of your, it's a target rich environment when it comes to, par, par, let me rephrase that. It's a partner rich environment. It's a partner rich Where environment, you can yeah. find like so many different, and the fact you guys are willing to invest, you don't just like, well, we only invest in X. 
you know, you've said clearly what you don't, but that's almost, that's a pretty small bucket compared to the things you do. Hence yeah. back to a plug for the garden loft as I'm sitting in right now. Yeah. feels pretty analog, but clearly you guys saw an opportunity. It fit your, it fit your criteria, yeah. your thesis, if you will. Yeah. Garden loft is a, it's a really interesting play because we're sitting inside of um, this unit, which is I think 500 feet. It looks like a fairly well-designed studio apartment. Um, we could be in someone's backyard as much in as in an office, his office downtown yeah. <laughs> in the belt line. Well, what you don't know is that if you were to fall as a 90 year old person on the, on this floor, you would reduce the, the chances of hip fracture uh, or other serious injuries significantly. If you were to stand in front of the toilet, you'd be weighed. If you opened your fridge, it would be measured. Very cool. Um, flushes of the toilet those types of things, other types of technology. We're actually building a suite of technology right now for this uh, that helps people live in this space independently with support and, uh, and addresses the needs of mobility and aging. So right behind you, you can see the railing that's, Mm -hmm. that's on there. That's a support railing to help you move down. The other thing about the thing right behind you where this stovetop is, it actually moves up and down. So the stove actually moves up and down uh, so a wheelchair can go there and you can sit and, and actually cook your food, right? So it's those types of things. And the level of expertise that went into building this. So this was designed by the, the Dean of Architecture at the University of Calgary in conjunction with um, the med school and uh, the city of Calgary. So this was a, a PhD level project by a very, very skilled person who is adamant about helping to solve this problem of aging uh and aging gracefully um so it's uh so excuse my excuse my ignorance for referring to it not as a technology play because (laughs) it's the beautiful world of technology we live in where it just becomes part of the environment that we're in it's not a screen or a panel in your face and then you call it tech exactly everything you just described that's awesome i think that's you know at the heart of it is you know what makes it easy to invest in a lot of sectors is the tech is is the powering systems behind the products force, and services right that you may never see in cyantra we talked about the the blood test for cancer like you don't think about technology but the level of ai and, and algorithms that they run against their biomarkers is incredible to to refine it to 96 percent accuracy well, back of to, early now we have all that anonymous data and now we have the horsepower to analyze it with an intent exactly we you know you're you're scaling up the ability of that individual to look at it and be able to assess now exactly. you can hold that up against you know, 10 million sample, sample cases. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to go down way down the, the technology <laughs> rabbit hole. It, it, it almost seems Thinair Labs. What's the easiest way for people to reach out? I'm, a, I'm an investor. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a business in Calgary that, you know, maybe wants to get involved and sit in the room and have a conversation and share and share my passion. How do they get hold of you guys? That's a good question. I think it's info at Thinair Labs. Okay. Well, your website's there and it's obvious. <laughs> the way, yeah. Labs go to the website, thinnerlabs.ca. Um, like, listen, we are, we're part of this community. We are always out and about when, when it's open, when things <laughs> when, are open. When we can, mask when we or can. not. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we try and attend uh, a lot of the events. We try and hold events. Um, so really just be part of the community and you'll find us and have conversations with us. We're pretty, we're pretty adamant about uh, spending time with entrepreneurs and ideas and thinking and brainstorming and those types of things and uh, and trying to find ways for great products or services to get to market at scale. So, um, you know, if you've got a great idea that, or a great product or a great business that is looking at helping people at a global scale and you want to build it right here in Calgary or, or in Alberta, you should get in touch with us because I don't think you're going to have the same level of help from other people. So if there's a good fit... 
you know, we'd love to talk to you. That's a mic drop right there. <laughs> James, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for the work you're doing in our amazing city. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be bold and say this might be the one of many future upcoming podcasts. I, I feel you're going to have a lot to share as things unfold here over the next couple of years. Yeah. I think I could do that for you. That's awesome. Thanks <laughs> right. a lot, my friend. All right. Thank you. Thank you.